You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible is Literature. Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. Today is a special treat. Normally, we ask Father Paul about some interesting detail or fact of terminology, but today we convinced him to talk about a text. The section specifically is something that is important to Father Paul's research. He talked about it in the rise of Scripture, and that is Judges chapter 2, verses 10 to 23. In it, we learn about our fathers, or rather, someone learns about their fathers. I'm not sure if I want to call anyone my fathers after reading that passage. We learn about people who forget the Lord and forget his commandments. We hear about the rise of judges. It's a very important section. And Father Paul, we're excited to have you talk about it today on the program. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. You know, Father Mark, let me read it quickly because it's really of the essence and I'll explain why. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work which he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were round about them and bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the power of their enemies round about, so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in sore straits. Then the Lord raised up judges, who saved them out of the power of those who plundered them. And yet they did not listen to their judges, for they played the harlot after other gods, and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and behaved worse than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, Because this people have transgressed my covenant which I commanded their fathers, and have not obeyed my voice, I will not henceforth drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died, that by them I may test Israel, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out at once, and he did not give them into the power of Joshua. Amazing! It is the only book in the entire Bible that tells you directly the program of the author, meaning how the author is planning to present the story. Because facts, you'll never know. It is your only source. So whether it's facts or story, it doesn't matter. It is his way of presenting the story. It's amazing that the two main actors are the Lord and his people. The nations are just an aside in the story. It is the Lord who becomes the enemy of the people. 
an enemy is taken from the book of Isaiah, I shall be your enemy. He is the one who punishes them. He is the one who forgives them. He is the one who assigns judges for them, and so on and so forth. And he is the one who tells them that it is between you and me. So it is really impressive that the author is writing in detail his program. And more than that, once you read the Bible, you would see that this is the biblical story in a paragraph. That's how the entire Bible is written. Now, when you remember the book of Joshua, you will see that this is very important because in the times of Joshua, the people were fine, if I may say so, because Joshua personally was obedient. If you are obedient, I shall preserve you and your people. So it's the obedience of Joshua that saved the people. But when Joshua disappeared, there was no other leader to lead the people in this way. And then a little bit later, we shall meet Samuel. But again, Saul and David do not listen to him. And they choose someone to be their king instead of God. So I just very early on was very impressed by this text. And it is repeated again in 12 stories to cover the 12 tribes and so on and so forth. I mean, all this one can sense immediately that it is parabolic. It's a teaching. And the hearer gets the lesson that the hearer should not be like those post-Joshua people. And here comes to mind a text that I refer to left and right all the time, which is the preamble to Psalm 78, where we hear that the fathers should not teach their children to follow their example, but to follow the teaching which they themselves did not follow. That's the interesting thing in the Bible. And this was contravened in churchly tradition and Judaic tradition and so on. We like to speak about the fathers and honor them. The Bible technically does not allow that. It presents now and then a few people who are righteous to follow their example, but one has to be very careful. Take the example of Noah, where he was good and correct, and that's why God saved him and a few others and the animals because of his correctness. But then he introduced the curse on one of his children because he decided to plant a vineyard and settle and so on, whereas God had told him that you should walk the way a shepherd would walk, just according to my will and listening to my voice. When you plant a vineyard and then build a city around it, you become local and you become like Cain. So one has to be very careful in the Bible. Let me put it in my words. When you choose a passage where you have someone that appears as an example for you to follow. Make sure always to say to follow his example in this chapter, in this story, and not open-endedly. Let me repeat that. 
and that's our problem. We are basically polytheists. Our saints are little gods. We make them like Christ, completely, fully and perfect and without sin and so That's not true. The only one in the New Testament who is without sin is Jesus. And that is in the letter to the Hebrews. Because in another letter, he is sin in the sense and that he was offering for our sins. and so, so one has to be extremely careful how to handle the biblical texts and on purpose. I put them into plural. If you're reading 1 Corinthians, you're reading 1 Corinthians. If you're reading Hebrews, you're reading Hebrews. And you are always challenging the people. I mean, since I went on an aside and mentioned the Hebrews, it's very interesting. And I use this in my book, you know, where you have two Jesuses. Remember, Joshua in Greek is Jesus. And thus, the letter to the Hebrews said, even the first Joshua, the first Jesus is impressive, who during his lifetime saved the people, was not able to maintain this promise for the following generations. That's why God needed an other Jesus who would secure that the promise be maintained through the following generations. So if you read this text, it becomes very clear, not that Joshua was a bad guy and was not perfect in his life and so on, but ultimately he was not successful. But this is precisely what we hear in this passage from the book of Judges, which is immediately after the book of Joshua, at the beginning of it in chapter 2, that the success of Joshua in the book of Joshua is shown to be not a total success in the book of Judges. And this is where the author of Hebrews comes from. Otherwise, it's not understandable. So, I'm going to stop here and allow you a few questions, but I hope that I did make the point clear, and I want to repeat it here, that we have to be very careful not to have any other God except the scriptural God. And unfortunately, all of us in all the Judaic and church traditions make out of our great people or good people, Baals. We follow them. We write books about them. This reminds me of the famous series launched by German Lutherans to speak about great theologians of the 20th century. You know, that's sad. I mean, one of the stories, just to mention it here, and I'm not putting him down, I'm not God, I'm not judging him, you know, but it's a fact that Bart among the Reformed Christians is almost adored as being the new Calvin and so on. But everybody knows that he left his wife and lived with his secretary because she was his muse and gave him inspiration and helped him. And I remember in one of the meetings, our great German theologian tried to defend him by saying, who are we to judge him? Yes, that's fine. I mean, no one is going to judge him. But for me to hear you say, well, ultimately, she helped him to produce what he wrote that sustains us and so on, it becomes really ridiculous. <laughs> God in the Bible finishes by allowing the Babylonians to burn the annals of the kings of Judah and Israel and their great deeds and even their temple. So we have to be very careful. There is no deity but the scriptural God 
as he appears in the book and systematically he shows himself to be the enemy of his people i'm not saying only the enemy i'm saying the real enemy of his people is he because the others cannot do anything without his permission notice how the text says the anger of the lord and he sold them into the power of their enemies round about whenever they marched out the hand of the lord was against them for evil as the lord had warned and as the lord had swore to them we have to hear the text as it stands because otherwise we blame the others uh, let me finish i know i went on another aside but i believe it's important how people mishear and misread jeremiah chapter 1 where we hear the teachers and theologians saying well it's describing the siege of jerusalem by the babylonians it's not true the siege of jerusalem by the babylonians is just the time frame of what the story is about at the end of chapter 1 and i don't want to go into that now but the people can read it read the entire chapter 1 at the occasion of that siege which means at the time of that siege judah was besieging jeremiah the prophet of god and his city so it's a very very cunning powerful text it is the siege of the city jeremiah by the city jerusalem during the siege of jerusalem by the babylonians but you as well as i know that you don't find this in the books definitely not in the sunday school material the point that you underscored that we all end up turning our leaders and our revered people into bales i was just wondering if you could help me understand then so in 11 when it says the children of israel did evil in the sight of the lord and served bales the previous verse was and there arose another generation after them which knew not the lord nor yet the works which he had done for israel and it seems like there's a logical connection between not knowing the lord and serving baalim and when i hear which knew not the lord for some reason this connects in my mind to pharaoh who did not know joseph and now we have a generation who knew not the lord what is the significance of forgetting the lord not knowing the lord and his works and serving the baals and turning leaders into baals can you help unpack how that actually functions first let me say that in this case obviously the verb to know is very versatile i think what is meant here because these people could have known from their fathers and so on or perhaps their fathers did not tell them but they did not witness the author is saying now we are moving to the post joshua generation i think that is the import of this text in this case they were not privy now from this perspective your comment fits perfectly regarding pharaoh notice how it starts there arose a pharaoh that did not know joseph and thus behaved differently than the pharaoh who was there at the time of joseph so we have the same thing here because at the beginning of the book of judges after the death of joshua so it hooks with the end of joshua where we are told that he died and he 
and the other elders of his generation. So there is a break which is parallel to Genesis Exodus. In other words, the straddle or the bridge between Genesis and Exodus is repeated here. So this next generation started following the deities because this is how the people were. They needed a deity, a leader, a god, and they started breaking the rule of God in the book of Deuteronomy. When you enter the land, do not follow the deities of those peoples. Actually, Deuteronomy is clear on this matter, which is reflected in this passage of Judges, that you have to exterminate all the nations so that you would not follow their Baals. But in Judges, you see, people say, how come they were not exterminated? It doesn't matter. The author can write what he wants to write, that God wanted to erase his old creation, and he was penitent, and he did not erase his old creation in chapter 6. So the trouble with us all is that we approach the text already on a theological premise. The text says what it says. And here at the end, the author is telling you why God left these nations, that by them I may test Israel. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out, and he did not give them into the power of Joshua. You see how the Lord controls the entire story. So it's a test. If you don't follow the Lord, you're going to follow another leader, period. That's how people live. Remember Jeremiah at the beginning, chapter 2. You left the real source of life and you went after cisterns that were empty because they were broken. You were fooled. And then immediately in Jeremiah you hear, no other nation left its gods for other gods except my people. It's a matter of fact because ultimately, as I stressed in the book, we are not shepherds, we are sheep. And as sheep, we have no choice but to follow a shepherd. If we do not follow that shepherd, then we are following another shepherd. <laughs> Just as a, atheists do not exist. Remember how the heathens referred to the Christians as atheists because they did not serve their own gods which means you're following another God. It's not that you are without a God. We have to explain the technical meaning of words. They forsook the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtarot. And the serve is precisely the word Abad. And you remember that God saved his people in order that they become his servants to serve him. One more time, and I stress this in my book. We, the hearers, are sheep never shepherds. And as sheep, we follow a shepherd. And our choice is which shepherd do we follow? And we have to submit to him. Here again, it brings to mind what I say that, well, so we choose God. Yes, but you choose God as your master. In other words, you end up being his, not he yours. This is something that irritates me. De facto, people do not differentiate between our saying to God, you are our God, and then we are your servants. 
the stress in you are our God should not be on our, but on God. You are our God. That's blasphemy. He is God. He is not only your God. And you accept him as your master. And then again, Richard, you know, the play on Baal, because Baal means also the master, <laughs> the Adon, which, by the way, is mentioned in Joshua, that the Lord is the only Adon of the land of the earth and not Baal. And that's why in the book of Hosea, which you are studying, the real showdown in Hosea 2 is between the Lord and Baal. So clear, obviously, in the mind of the people and their decision as to whom they serve. I hope I was not long, but your questions, Richard, are always challenging. So I need to make sure that I express my thought the way I want to express it. Thank you very much, Father. Thanks, Father, for a great episode. As always, an honor and a pleasure to listen to you. You have a great day. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.